Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Did you know I've had my podcast for 15 years? Do you know that it is the most downloaded sports podcast of all time? Did you know I have guests from the sports world, from the culture world, people who work for The Ringer, people outside The Ringer, celebrities, experts, you name it. It's on my podcast three times a week, late Sunday night, late Tuesday night, late Thursday night, the Bill Simmons podcast. Check it out on Spotify. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwanga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am all right, thanks man. How are you? Very well indeed. Very well indeed. Do you know what feels really weird? What's that? For some reason it feels like we haven't spoken for ages. It feels like we haven't done a podcast for ages, but we did one on Monday. What's happening? That's a really good point, actually. What's uh, happened? There's just a lot going Is there a lot going on? No? Yes? No? Well, it's no. men's international break, so mm. maybe that has something to do with it. But Women's Champions League was on this week, so... That's right. Maybe it's maybe it's because they didn't have women's Champions League games on Tuesday because they had they didn't want to overlap with the men's internationals. Yeah, maybe. maybe yeah, the, the streams have crossed. Definitely, something's gone on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh well, you're good. Yes, I am very well indeed. Actually, any uh, books yeah. out this week? <laughs> no, but I did catch up with um, a friend of a friend the other day who's doing amazing work. Uh, she's a lawyer representing. Was a group of Syrian women who are lawyers doing incredible mm. work. Oh um, wow! For human rights, like investigations, advocacy, like just incredible. You, know, you only meet people who are just in a completely different sphere of work to you, who are doing mm. the kind of actual frontline work that inspires you. So yeah, that was a it's a great diversion from football this week. But the football nice. itself, of course, was great, as uh, we're about to discuss. Yeah, it was. We're going to do just a quick roundup of some stuff from uh, midweek mm. and. Maybe another little bit on Spurs, unfortunately, because of the Paratici stuff. Yes, unfortunately, yeah. Ooh, have to talk about that. Um, but some admin quickly. Mm. Flo and Mio are going to be on Wright's House on Friday. Go and check them out. Make sure you go and check, check Counterpress as well for some more Champions League stuff. Mm. Check the Stadio Outro's playlist on Spotify. Any other admin we need to talk about? I think that's it. No books out this week either, so all good. <laughs> You better hurry up, man. It's been a while. <laughs> it has, it has. It has been a while. Um, planning some fun stadio stuff behind the scenes that we can hopefully drop soon. Mm. Been a while. Busy. Mid, mid-season mid World Cup. Not for me, Clive. Not for me either, I have to say. Uh, all right, so let's get into all the football stuff after let's this. Right, man, before we get on to the Women's Champions League, mm. I just want to do a couple of shout outs. First of all, 
shout out to Wales versus Latvia. Wales beating Latvia 1-0. But this game was dedicated to football versus transphobia by the Welsh FA. Wonderful. Because this week it's football versus transphobia week of action. Oh, fantastic. Shouts to the Wales, uh, Welsh FA. Shouts to football versus homophobia as well. Great account. That would worth. I'd recommend following FVH Tweets. Yeah. An international initiative opposing homophobia in football and they also tackle all kinds of other discrimination. In another game that I want to shout out, from a football point of view, mm. oh boy. <laughs> Scotland, Spain. You scythe down Martin Odegaard. <laughs> oh my goodness, the football gods did not like that. Scotland beating Spain 2-0 yes. at Hamden on Tuesday um, with an Atleti-like performance. 25% possession, nine shots total, one big chance, 0.88 XG. Spain, on the other hand, 75% possession, eight total shots, no big chances, 0.79 XG. So you just look at that and be like, Scotland, efficient, highly efficient. Highly efficient, but also knew who to target. Mm. Like the Scottish attacking was outstanding, right? It was outstanding. The quality of chances they created could have been two at the half, to be honest. Mm. Could have been two at half time. Um, they created really, really well. Kieran Tierney winning his matchup with Carvajal. Extremely impressive. And this is the thing. Because Sinchenko has been so good, it's been easy to forget how good Tierney is, actually. Yeah, he's a really good footballer. There, there are just very few left backs that could keep Kieran Tierney consistently out of, mm. of a team. Uh, it's unfortunate that he's playing behind Sinchenko who's probably the best left back doing it at the moment in the Premier League uh, in terms of the range of things he does. And... Um, Scotland just really, really impressive. Uh, Lyndon Dykes, brilliant, brilliant as a support man in both games, the Cyprus win um, and the win over Spain. But of course the headlines go to Scott McTominay, mm. who, there's, there's, so there's a couple of goals I think that McTominay got against Leeds when United uh, blew away Leeds under Solskjaer, I think it was, these late runs. And if you look at this, you know, McTominay's ability to burst into the box late has a thing that people have always known about, mm. but it's been unleashed in these last couple of games. You know, Steve Clark is a brilliant coach and I think he's allowed McTominay a margin more freedom. You know, he likes mm. to have him anchoring the midfield or not, but shoring it up. But this, having McTominay run onto the ball like this is devastating. Listen, the price of the scotch just went up. <laughs> and he's improved though. That's the thing. It's not just, this isn't just like McTominay was being overlooked. That ability to arrive late, that composure, that consistency of composure, may I say, is, is new. Mm. And it's just, you suddenly look at Scotland and think, what a streetwise team. Not just streetwise, yeah. but also what a brilliant, you know, McGinn, Robertson, Tierney, McTominay. That is a, it's a serious squad. I think the thing about Scott McTominay is a really interesting one though, because of the, if he played for... Villa. Yeah, or Fulham, or mm. I don't know if he'd maybe fit into the Deserby system at Brighton, but someone like Brighton or, you know, I don't know, West Ham. Like, if he was at West Ham, clubs higher at the table would be after him. Yeah, He's a victim of the club that he's at, I think, because yeah. it gets down to this, how do Man United still have Scott McTominay playing centre midfield when he does? But then actually, it means that he's never fully judged fairly. Yes, that's fair. Yes, that's right. Apart that's from right. obviously people who, you know, specialise in nuance and actually seeing through that, I think in terms of, I'm looking at like hashtag football Twitter analysis. Yeah. He's never going to be, you know, like a Ballon d'Or winning all-time Hall of Fame centre midfielder. Mm. There's a reason why multiple managers at Manchester United have relied on him. And it's probably just because even though he's, he's not going to be 
like I said, then he's never going to be a Modric. Yeah. Like he absorbs instruction, I think, pretty well. And that's right. Yeah. And carries it out. Like if you look at the different kinds of managers that have played him at Manchester United, they're very different. Very different. It's yeah. kind of like the Granite Xhaka thing at Arsenal, actually. Granite Xhaka is probably the closest comparison I can feel to someone being like, where fans are like, how's this guy keep getting a game? But managers are like, can I be honest with you? The one manager that he missed out on is Van Hal. Yeah. The one United manager he missed out on was Louis Van Hal because I think that Van Hal would have seen the qualities in him much earlier that he's showing under Clark. If you just look at how, um, if you just look at how Louis Van Hal used Fellaini in some of their most impressive victories, the most impressive United victories, uh, the away at Liverpool, um, the four-two in the derby. Um, against uh, City at Old Trafford and then I think the win over Spurs. Fellaini was integral in all of them. And the genius of Van Gaal is looking at players with skill sets that are extremely advanced in some areas and kind of average in others and they're just really just emphasising the strengths. That's mm -hmm. not to knock McTominay but he would have seen McTominay's peaks and just taken those and run with them. Mm. Uh, and it's, it's really exciting to see how he develops not only for Scotland but also for United. But, but just back to Scotland for a second because this is really exciting for them. They qualified, obviously, for Euro 2020, uh, which is their first um, qualification for a major tournament in a while. And they're now suddenly looking really quite interesting for, for the next uh, edition in Germany. I mean, they're top of Group A. They've played 2-1-2. Two, two. That Spain game was a massive bonus. They then go to Georgia. Georgia, by the way, had a great result against Norway. Creature quite scary. Yeah, they had a great, they had a great result. But that, that group is up for grabs. Like, they're, they're already five points ahead of, of, of Norway. Sorry, Scotland play Norway next. They go to Norway. Spain go to Georgia. My bad. Reading their fixtures the wrong way around. But um, that group is really open. Like Spain found themselves spot, a couple of dark horses. They yeah, did. I mean, you assume that Spain would qualify over the over the course of the the group. But like Scotland or Norway or even Georgia. Let's like, see. Yeah, well, be, well, yeah. that's Spain, man. Spain might um, get got. But Roger wasn't happy. He uh, didn't like the way that uh, what, Scotland what was, played. What was he unhappy about? Or, what was he unhappy about? Well, I think he just, he was like, hang on a minute, running down the clock, rolling around when he got injured, <laughs> haranguing the referee. <laughs> this is the man who's played for Villarreal, then Atletico Madrid and then Manchester City. So he's, you're saying he's unfamiliar with the dark arts? The only thing I can assume why he was so angry, because he was just like, get your own bit. <laughs> the jacking my flow. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say they'd played France, right? Mm, and France yeah. had played that way. Yeah. Then I can kind of semi-understand someone from Spain having a dig. Mm. But like, what do you expect? Come on. Like you play for Manchester City, you play against sides who defend deep and try and hit you on the counter-attack all the time. Yeah. Like, I don't know. This is just a bit, this is just kind of like, you know when some people realise how much freelancers actually earned? <laughs> do you know what I mean? They're like, oh. <laughs> It sounds a bit um, entitled. And also, when you come out with comments like that, you need to be very careful because you're giving everyone else the blueprint for how to come at you. Yeah, and also the fact that it looks like you're so bothered by it. just That's what it, I mean, but you're telling yeah. everyone, you, it, you've literally just given Georgia, Cyprus, the blueprint. Oh, mm. that's what annoys them. Oh, mm. like, look, everyone knows that sitting deep against Spain is frustrating for Spain, but no one's clear of just how frustrating. And now everyone's going to put out the APB on Carvajal. Like, that you now you you cross over, you go wide, you isolate him, you draw him out, mm. you can beat him in a physical matchup. All of a sudden, these pressure points. You look at the um, Garcia being threatened by the long ball as well, and players running in behind, like Rodri. Mm. You know, this is the thing when you, 
when you're in a moment of frustration after a big defeat, you sometimes just have to take the L. Scotland were great. They competed well and go privately and kick a few things, but don't, don't let the mask slip. I mean, also the problem is, is that you're going to have a load of questions for Luis de la Fuente. Yes. A kind of understanding appointment in one degree, but also yeah. a little bit of a, maybe like an underwhelming appointment in another, like so mm. he last managed the Spain Olympic side. Yeah. Um, you know, he was manager of the under 21s, manager of the under 19s, like, but been around the setup for a little while. And tactically there are already questions about like his ability to coach that Spain side through the Euros. He's only got a contract till the end of the Euros. And, and his rotation. Yeah. His rotation against Scotland, like yeah. you, the team that beat Norway was very different to one that beat that, um, that lost to Scotland. Mm. And is there a complacency there? Maybe there is actually. Maybe um, you know. I mean, this is a side who. I mean, this is a squad who have got enough depth to 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 comfortably top that group. But this is this is. I, I mean, I think Scotland deserve a huge amount of credit because the fact that they, like, this is essentially probably a fixture at the beginning. You're like, if we get a point at home to Spain, right. we're good, and the more and more bonus points you can accumulate through the, through the taunt, uh, through the, the group, I mean, you never know. It might come down to the games against them in Spain. Spain made a big mistake showing that vulnerability. They made a yeah. big mistake with the rotation. It was not a good look. And I think, I think they underestimated Scotland. I, I agree. Yeah, great result for Scotland. Yeah, um, great. Let's, anything else on the uh, qualifiers? No, we're all good. good, right? all good yeah, Men's all good. club football returns this weekend. Yes. For the final stretch. I'm not going to lie, I'm quite nervous. I'm not. 10 cup ah, finals. Ah, 10 ah, cup ah, finals. Ah, Phil Neville said, 25 cup finals, 23 cup finals, or whatever it was. <laughs> All the cup finals. It's like, you get a cup final. You, you get, get a cup, cup final. <laughs> you get a cup final. There was history at Emirates Stadium. Largest women's Champions League attendance in England at Emirates Stadium, around about 20,000. Saw Arsenal's 2-0 win over FC Bayern München. So impressive. What was surprising to me, to be honest, given that Bayern have bolstered their midfield, they got absolutely overrun by Arsenal. Like, uh, bear in mind, Kim Little had to go off pretty early on as well with an injury. They um, were, Arsenal were, can I say like, Black Stenius officially is like, you know, talk the Beth Mead revenge tour, something's going on because Black Stenius' energy right now, the centre forward performances she's putting in, in these huge matches. Stenius is amazing. This is the, amazing. The level, the level she's gone. Don't get me wrong. We mm. knew very good player, brilliant player. The level she's gone to, Ryan, like the intensity, the urgency. We'll get to like Marnham's goal after this, but the the way she attacked the second goal for the second goal, mm -hmm. extraordinary. Like the presence in the penalty area, just the desire, the intensity. It's very rarely you'll see Magul chasing in a midfield like that. It just felt like Bayern was second or third to every. It just felt like every time they were moving the ball on Arsenal, Bayern would arrive seconds later. Yeah. All over Bayern, the field. Bayern looked fully, uh, I, I don't like using the word rattled because it's kind of been like adopted by I don't think it was Twitter, but Bayern did look kind of shell-shocked. Startled. Startled by startled the, intensity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. the intensity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because I think... I think they would have expected to see this game out and maybe nick a 1-0 win, especially the result after the weekend against Wolfsburg. But I feel, like the, I feel like the result against Wolfsburg kind of overhyped, or people overhyped the performance against Wolfsburg because mm. we were talking about it when we were saying that Wolfsburg yeah. missed a couple of massive chances. And, and actually- Pyro and, Pyre and Pop missed two big ones. If, yeah. if Wolfsburg go 2-0 up in that game or 1-0 up at least, it's a mm. different game. Yes. Because Bayern had to win that game. 
Right. Maybe I think they were surprised or took their foot off the pedal a little bit, especially when Kim Little went off. But actually, and I might be getting a little bit galaxy brain here, but I think the Kim Little substitution aided Arsenal only in a way of creating chaos. It broke the game up. Arsenal actually lost, I feel like they lost a bit of control, but they didn't lose momentum. Because yes. Kim Little is just metronomic, yeah, right? Yeah. She is she is basically the conduit between defence and attack. And Leah Valti as well, obviously. Bringing on Lotta Wibbermoy, yeah. who has had a tricky week, Lotta, because you yeah. know, she missed out on the England squad. She must have been really disappointed about that. Mm. You know, she's not been playing regularly. She's not the first choice centre-back at Arsenal at the moment with Raphaela and Leah Williamson being the, the partnership. Mm. But she came on and they moved uh, Williamson into midfield. Mm. And I'm not going to lie, like, at first, I, I was a bit like, we're obviously huge fans of Leah Williamson. She's an incredible footballer. But she had a she had a 10-minute spell when she just moved into midfield where it was a little bit like, I've been moved into midfield. Mm. And Arsenal really could have done with an extra just foot on the ball or keep just it all, getting yeah, bearings, or circ- yeah. circulating yeah. possession a little bit more. There were a couple of cheap um, giveaways, mm. a couple of attempted through balls that just weren't on. Whereas, And, and I think, weirdly, that kind of threw Bayern off a bit. Because it actually made Arsenal go a little bit more intense because it was... Made them play downhill. Yeah, yeah. they pressed higher, they, they, they won the ball back and they were constantly like feeling, uh, feeding Caitlin Ford on the, on the left-hand side. Oh, she was amazing. She was exceptional, Ford. Yeah. They just kind of overwhelmed Bayern, I think. And I'm not sure what the actual like XG would have said. But Williamson missed a really, really good chance to make it three, I think. And there was another chance that could have gone in. So you're realistic. Ford you missed a very good one. Ford, Ford missed, a, no, yeah, towards Ford. the end, but I'm talking yeah. about first half, before yeah, the yeah, first yeah. half, yeah. before yeah. half time. It really felt like Arsenal could have gone in three or four up. Well, let's talk about the, equal, the, the Arsenal's first goal that equalised equalized the tie because that's one of the goals of the season. Oh, it's incredible. It's the way it was constructed. Like, And everything about this goal was a reward for Arsenal's enterprise culminating in, you know, the, the uh, brief, briefly using a comparison with the men's game because I feel it's, par- it's appropriate. The last time I've seen Interplay that good near to the box was, see that 94 game when Argentina play against Greece and it's Redondo and Maradona just like interchanging passes edge of the box. Yeah. And it's just like, and then Maradona just clatters at top corner. To punch the ball in field, stretch it, cross the play into Williamson's feet and then lay it back for Marnham like that, it was just... She caught the strike so clean and the genius of that passing pattern, the Arsenal passing pattern into the box and out of it, you see the Bayern defenders and it's, you talk about disorder, chaos. They're completely disorientated yeah. by, by, but not just by the passing, the movement, by, the, by who's moving. You know, mm. you have Williamson starting as a centre-back and all of a sudden she's running as like a 10, yeah. a late arriving 10 and that's disorientating and they set it up so well for Marnham's finish. That is, if that had just been if you just shot mid of the box, you'd be like, okay, well, that's a top 25 goal of the season. Mm. The way it was constructed and the timing of it, that puts it top 10. Yeah. The timing of it, the quality. Unbelievable. And also, do you know what I mean as well? As a that's culmination, as a culmination of Arsenal's approach from the beginning of the Conti Cup final to now, the kind of the run they've been on, Conti Cup final, Spurs, and now, like these mm. performances, it's just... Arsenal are on one. Like this, uh, th- this combination of games makes you look at them and think nobody is going to want to face that team. Well, I feel like a lot of people wrote them off after the... Uh, they did, the, I think. The, that back-to-back, 
that that week where they lost to City in the league and then lost to Chelsea in the FA Cup. And I think, in a way, did them a favour. Kind of freed actually. them up a bit. I mean, obviously, yeah. I don't think losing to City. Is, I mean, now you look at how tight the league is, but no one realised what City were. This is the thing that loss to City doesn't look so bad now because now, does that make sense? Sometimes you lose yeah. to. It's like, you know, in Arsenal, um, the men's got done by Brentford the first game of the season a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. And everyone oh, was complaining about it. And Everyone now- Everyone cooked me. Everyone cooked me now, though, being patient and zen. But in context now, that defeat actually not the worst defeat. Never, I mean, it's not a, yeah. And, we and again that, now- And we, yeah. said, we, we said repeatedly on the podcast last season that, that that would age well. Yeah, and I keep repeating that because it's one of the few takes I get right. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but, but, but Arsenal, the defeat to City, not the worst defeat, actually, in context. And the way they're playing now, and the way they're getting goals from key people, but not just key goals, but key performances. Ford was lights out. The only so mistake good. she made was the miss. Yeah, that chance. Uh, and that was such a good opportunity as well, because Arsenal got a little bit nervy after that. I feel like, because... They did, yeah. If you look at the... Like, Bayern only had one shot on target all game. And that's Bayern. That's Bayern. You look, who's in that midfield? Uh, that two shots off target yeah. and one shot blocked. Arsenal had eight shots on target um, and created, I think, uh, what the stats say? broke down to six big chances, five big chances missed. For Jonas Eideval, actually, that's the takeaway. We beat Bayern and we left five big chances out there that we should have put away. It's huge. And there may be games later on in the season, especially in the Champions League, that we'll get caught out if we don't put those, those, those away. And we've said this before, how good is it? The best result in football is when you can win a game and you can still identify points that you need to improve on. I love it. It's the perfect kind of victory. And there's, there's, I'm not going to lie though. I'm, I'm not saying it's because of him, but since Ian Wright dropped that fucking any given Sunday speech, <laughs> there's a level of intensity to Arsenal that they were missing for a little while. And, <laughs> and I don't know whether maybe, I mean, I'm, I have no insight into this whatsoever, just in case people are wondering, but I do wonder whether that week against City and Chelsea I wonder whether there was any conversations behind the scenes because it feels like, it felt like there were a lot of rumblings about discontent. Mm. Obviously off the back of the transfer window with the whole Stina Blackstenius, Alessia Russo yes. swap thing. I do wonder whether, that, like you said, that defeat to City and the defeat to Chelsea, whether that was kind of like the wake-up call they needed because they, weren't, they, they don't have Miedemar. Mm. They don't have Beth Mead. Mm. These players are good enough to do it without them. They are. It almost feels like Arsenal's attack's been democratised a little bit more. Yes, yes, yes. You know, you say this very often where a team loses its best player or best players in this case, and the team somehow improves because people aren't deferential anymore. Mm. Everyone gets the chance to step up, everyone's enjoying exploring the space. And you look at Caitlin Ford, for example, who's, this is always the problem where you have superstars in the team. Other players who aren't quite as famous or, you know, get overshadowed slightly. Mm. And what's great is they've all stepped up and taken that responsibility. McCabe almost got that incredible solo goal. Yeah, and then got absolute. She, I mean, that was the but the, uh, the 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 negative was she left the ground on crutches and with a protective boot on Katie mm. McCabe, which is it's a worry. Yeah. Not good. It's a big week for Arsenal. They've got City in the league on Saturday uh, on Sunday. Yeah, if they win that, they go above City on goal difference. It's a huge weekend. It's just game after game at the moment for Arsenal. McCabe would be a really unfair loss actually. Massive loss. And this is a City yeah. side in good form. Yeah, I still think Arsenal at home should be looking to win that game. But yeah, I think just all, I mean, the fact that they've, they, they've got through to the semi-finals of the Champions League for the first time in 10 years, mm. which shows you how good an achievement this is from, yeah, yeah. from Jonas Ederbal. To be honest, I think he has also stepped up. 
I yeah, think I he has he has he has improved. Like he didn't get Russo. And the biggest credit to Blackstenius I can give and to his coaching of Blackstenius is I don't know if you can necessarily argue that Russo would have been more effective in these games than Blackstenius has been. The performances that she put in, Blackstenius in those last two games in particular, the Spurs game, um, the Conti Cup final and last night, you look at that and think that is not a striker that needs replacing. Mm. That striker is not the problem in your attack um, or a problem at all. So yeah, uh, credit to her, credit to Idaval, who's bringing the best out of his players um, and having them just frankly playing some really thrilling front foot football. Um, the biggest compliment I can give to that was, that was like watching the Arsenal team that won in, was it 07? Back then? Yeah, it was like watching that Arsenal team, the way they moved the ball around. So yeah, credit to them. Yeah, massive. And uh, they'll play Wolfsburg or PSG in the semi-final, which some of you may already know which ones they're playing. Shall we switch to the other game? Because it, in the end, yes. it was pretty comfortable for Barca against Roma. It was. Uh, again, featuring another absolute Straight worldie. banger. Straight banger. <laughs> from uh, from Mappy Leon, who just kind of like looked around, took a touch and was just like, yeah. Clattered this. Yeah. Rolfo again, though. Big Rolfo. Oh my God. What a footballer. Play, player of the match. Again, sets the tone, sets the tone. She's incredible. She's incredible. I wonder, I worry, it's the old thing with Barcelona. Will they be victims of, not complacency, but the battle-tested aspect of it? Mm. This is always the concern for them because they've made, um, through their own quality, they've made their, their first division into a procession because of their sheer quality. I wonder if there's an element of wanting more of a test because you're entering now the semi-final and you're against teams that are really hungry and are finding solutions all over the place. Now, I hesitate to add Barcelona do not have too many obvious weaknesses, but they can be got at. And I just wonder if that's going to be a challenge for them. Mm. How, how do you feel about that? I feel like they have enough quality here to really turn it on when they need to. Mm. You know, they take off Kira Walsh and they bring on Ingrid Engen. You know, it's like... And you got Kajara as well, as well, yeah. alongside, as Walsh as well. You've got like, you've got three outstanding DMs, yeah. The depth, and this is without, obviously, the double Ballon d'Or winner. Wild. Graham Hansen just wrecking shop again on the flank. Just ridiculous. Um, Everyone knows how good Caroline Graham Hansen is. Mm. Someone who goes massively under the radar, I think, in terms of like a marketing perspective. Yes, yes. Probably actually through her own desire. Yeah, like, true. Yeah. <laughs> that is also her energy. Like there's a, there's a certain type of assassin at the level of the game. Yeah, she's still yeah, just like, she's no, no, we're not talking about that. No, we're just, you know, just doing our thing. <laughs> she's a ter- terrifying player. Bon Matty again, we talked about, the thing about Bon Matty is, I call it underrated so often, she's actually rated at this point. <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah. yeah, like, at this bon point, she, is basically she's got like, her flowers yeah. now. She's got her flowers yeah. now. The control of tempo, both halves just did whatever she wanted. I suppose with um, Barcelona, you just have to somehow get in behind them, uh, which Roma did actually. Roma did, you know, the one, the one occasion they got yeah. away from the goal, um, they did really well there. And there's maybe a, there's a conversation to be had about hitting them on the break, but that's, that's all you're going to get against Barca. Yeah. Um, but yeah, extremely impressive again. Yeah. Uh, and 54,000 in Camp Nou. Um, Sounded louder. Yeah. It did sound louder. Um, 
And the winners of that game will go, uh, sorry, Barcelona will face the, the whoever wins out of Lyon and Chelsea, second leg. We're recording this ahead of the second leg. Mm. So you've got PSG or Wolfsburg versus Arsenal and Barcelona versus Lyon or Chelsea. Some very, very, very That's a good look for Arsenal, you know. That's a good look for Arsenal. I mean, I genuinely, I think after beating Bayern, I don't think Arsenal should fear PSG or Wolfsburg. Not at all. Not at all. No, no. I, I really don't. Um, and that's not to say that I feel like they're going to beat them or, or are mm. better than them necessarily, but I don't think they should fear them. Actually, um, that, that side of the draw is actually not bad for Barcelona either because Barcelona know they can beat, um, uh, they know they can beat Chelsea. Mm. They have the chip on their shoulder from the Champions League final against Lyon. Um, but also I think Lyon weirdly are a better matchup for them over two legs than PSG because PSG, remember that time, was it a couple of years ago, they gave them the horrible time in the semi. Mm. And they only did them like with 50 minutes to go. PSG's like set pieces and speed. They're like a more awkward, they're like being a tennis player that plays against right-handers the whole time and suddenly play a lefty. And it's like, this is disorientating. Whereas actually I think Barcelona benefit from playing against known quantities. Mm. So in, in a weird way, I think both draws, I think that draw favours Barcelona and it favours Arsenal actually. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I don't think either would argue necessarily. No, I mean, no, no, I was looking forward to it. I would say and that's no, fair. but this is the yeah. thing: when you get yeah. down to the last four of the of the Champions League, there is no. It's all like, matchups. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. It can go either way. But to be honest, I I think Arsenal. Just wrapping up on Arsenal quickly before we move on from this. Yes, but just uh, one thing I meant to say was that I was actually. It, I didn't want to say statement victory, but I feel like the way because they did have that slight nervy part of the second half, but the fact that they. They really should have been out of sight at half time against a, Bayern, a very, very good Bayern side. Is who, who arrived with a single goal lead. That's huge. That's like yeah, a, and yeah, it yeah, felt yeah. calm. Yeah. yeah, it did. The most impressive thing about it before we go on, before mm. we move on from Arsenal, I want to say this: the quality of the chance creation was the most exciting yeah, yeah. thing from Arsenal's perspective. Yeah, should have more away. Yeah, none of it was rushed. Actually, it no. was all yeah, yeah. Yeah, the control. second goal. We, I mean, we, to be honest, I feel like we kind of like underplayed Freedom Adams' goal because I couldn't, you know, off the bar and in as well. It was amazing. But the second goal was really well worked. And as soon as Katie McCabe gets that down the left hand side, you know it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but quickly on, um, so we mentioned uh, there were fifty five thousand almost in, at Camp Nou, and on Camp Nou, it looks like work is going to start on renovations of the stadium in the summer. Mm. And uh, next season, Barcelona will play their home games at the. Olympia, uh, Olympic Stadium and I think they've penciled in a return to Camp Nou November the following season which is going to be weird uh, anything else on the Women's Champions League? Uh, no all good all good Missed so far anything? present incorrect uh, let's take a quick break let's do it you might remember a while ago we did that story about Juventus and the entire board resigning and then the, them being docked points and uh, a criminal case pending with regards to alleged manipulation of accounting, let's say. Mm. Um, Fabio Paratigi was involved in that and received a ban at the time, which has now been extended worldwide. Uh, obviously, Paratigi is the current uh, manager director of football at Spurs. And it kind of feels like from all, well, limited comments that, that Spurs have put out about this is that they felt like this is a little bit unexpected. 
apparently neither Paratici nor Spurs had any idea that FIFA were going to extend this ban to a worldwide ban. Um, Spurs released a statement saying this committee deliberation has has been taken with no advance notice to all of the parties involved. We are urgently seeking further clarification from FIFA as to the details of the extension and its variance from the Italian FA sanction. The day before this, Paratici had released a video statement on through Spurs' social channels about planning forward and saying goodbye to Conte and how Cellini and Mason were going to coach for the rest of the season and how they're planning for the successor and all this stuff. And it looks like now that obviously he won't be able to do it. He's going to have mm. to step aside. Um, I, I kind of really feel for Spurs. It's so weird for Spurs fans at the moment. They must be in this weird limbo of like, they need to qualify for the Champions League. Qualify, like Champions League qualification is on. But they must, they must just want the season to be done. There's something else as well, and not to get too much into psychodrama, psychoanalysis, but Daniel Levy has been a Spurs supporter for decades, right? Mm. And you see how this is like, and sometimes it's important to remember that context. This isn't just someone that's just coming to Spurs. This is someone who grew up supporting Spurs, going to games, and Spurs is in him. There's a lot of criticism of him, and I think maybe sometimes some of that criticism is is more muted because it's respect for the fact that he has been a fan for that long. The horror show, the slowly unfolding horror show of not only the Conte departure, but Paratici there, someone who you brought in with that experience thinking, you know, he knows what he's doing. Juve, European powerhouse. He was under investigation at the time, but maybe, you know, you think, oh, okay, it's going to be okay. And it's not okay. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. And I wonder if they are almost emotionally kind of immobilized by the horror mm. show. You know, like when, um, when I was a kid in Uganda, right? We used to go to Uganda like on holiday and this daddy long legs would like fly towards you and it would transfix. It'd be flying like about two miles an hour, but you couldn't, you couldn't move. get away from it. You couldn't move, right? And you, you would just watch it for seconds and it would sunny descend. And all of a sudden it's like clapped on your face, like a face hugger, right? It almost feels like Daniel Levy is watching daddy long legs float towards him and can't move. <laughs> it's the only way I can explain this because smart guy, worked in the business world, um, exceptional negotiator we've seen um, when it comes to it. Like, look at the, the deal they pulled off with Berbatov, the, the brinkmanship. Mm. He's someone that like, he, can, he can sniff out trouble. And I look at this and just think, at board level, were they almost, is it the slowly growing horror? Because, you know, Paratici brought in some of the best players they've had in a while, like Romero, Kulisevsky, you know, that, uh, that amazing transfer window. He oversaw that and obviously Bentoncourt as well. Yeah. So he's brought in really good players. I mean, probably, sorry just to cut in, but yeah, probably some of the most influential signings in recent Spurs. Right. In like the last, I don't know, I mean, maybe since Ericsson? Right. And that caliber of signing of thinking, well, that's an elite caliber of signing. And yeah, Ericsson's son, maybe. And at the same time, the, the juice is just not worth the squeeze. The reputational risk. There's a lot of talk about the reputational risk for Spurs. Well, mm, well, I, 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 it's interesting you said this because you said something the other day which I agreed mm. with where it was kind of like you know the uh, you know not state owned run very well blah 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 but I do feel like this is this has kind of this in accumulation of the, uh, and the accumulation of the last few years I think has left Spurs in a this is tarnished it's massively tarnished it and it's, yeah. it's going to take I think this is why we were saying like maybe the other day take a couple of steps back to go forward again because I feel like you need to almost like cleanse yourself 
of it's like what Arsenal did. They had to get rid of when uh, Raul Sané left, and that was just like right. We need to get rid of this. Like we need to do all this. Start again. Mm. You know, process. Uh, youth. Blah blah. Do you know what I mean? Like all the buzzwords because. There was a statement released. I'm sorry, I know you have to totally cut in there, but from go for, the go, go, go for uh, it. because yeah, yeah. we're not Spurs fans, right? And uh, and you know what footballers on uh, football fans on the internet are like. If mm. they hear a Manchester United fan and an Arsenal fan talking about Spurs, they assume that it's with malice, and it's yeah, really yeah. not. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not an Arsenal podcast. Not Man United podcast. Thank God for that. Sorry, oh, God, Jesus. <laughs> but the Tottenham Hotspur supporters trust. Um, it's from a Guardian article that came out yesterday. Uh, called for clarity from the club and brought the future of Harry Kane, whose contract expires in 2024, into the equation. The quote, this adds further to the extremely concerning situation at the club. No manager, no director of football, and uncertainty around our star player and end of season finish. Fans deserve to hear a clear statement of strategy. That's the key point, I think. The clear statement of strategy. Because... Few sides, I think, unless you were like Manchester City, maybe, who, and even then, I don't think they would have do it, would have done it. Like, few sides pushing for top four, I think, would be in this position at this stage of the season. I can't remember it happening much recently. Mm. Um, and I feel like if you actually break down and look at each decision by decision over the last few years, like Daniel Levy is now has got a hell of a lot of reputation rebuilding to do and mm. so do the club. Yeah. Um, but I just, I feel like this, this level of, I mean, I think we see this all the time in football though. We, we, you and I, or, or people outside of football in terms of the actual industry will look at certain decisions from clubs who may be, you know, I mean like appointing a managing director of football who was being investigated for this it's a bit like, like it's not something you and I would feel like we'd probably do if we were in that position, but we're not in that position. We're not in that environment. Can I be honest with you? I think we're underestimating football. And I think a lot of people watching from the outside, the degree of glamour in the game and how that is seductive. Like the association with Paratici having come from Juventus, right? And where yeah. Spurs want to be, that stuff. Well, that's, a, that's literally it. Like the yeah. allure of like- The allure is huge. We've got like, Juve's ex-sporting director, Juve's ex-manager, Inter's ex-manager who won the league. Like, the DNA, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get that. But also, is it the best for you? Is it what fans want? Do fans really want that? You, know, you see it all the time. You see it all the time. Actually, this is the thing. You see it all the time in the corporate world, actually. When you see, um, let's say, um, a company of a certain size or a business of a certain size land a particular deal mm. and then they're like, yeah, this is like this is the one that takes us into the next sort of economic league or the super league. And you see it with law firms, you know, when, when, I, was a, when I was a lawyer back in the day and they, I was at a firm that was like, it was, it was in the top 10, but it wasn't the top five. And every now and again, they'd get a transaction, they'd work on a deal and they'd be like, this puts us at the very top table. And you could see it, you could see that desire, that kind of ego to swing for the fence and make that big transition. And Spurs have been there. Spurs have been on the edge of that. They had this Champions League final in 2019. And there's that sense of, we were in that match. We were there, we were right at the top table, but that was one match. How do we get the infrastructure that brings us to the top table? And of course, like Levy's defense, he might say, look, you have to speculate. You have to gamble. You've got to go for it. And with Juve and Disarray, you know, they've been in trouble before. Maybe they beat these charges. Maybe it's all like, you know, 
maybe it's all maybe maybe it's like um it's overblown because people are after UV, and like it's a once in a generation opportunity to get elite executives who wouldn't otherwise mm. come to us, which reveals actually a slight insecurity if you think about it, because you look at the Brighton model, right? Brighton have basically built from ground up. Bloom over there has just built executive level, just like up and up and up. And Brighton now have a structure where it's the envy of, frankly, most clubs in Europe. Let's be honest. Because Brighton haven't gone for the easy win, the quick win. Brentford haven't gone for it. And Spurs' problem, actually, they revealed, I think, fundamentally, what was an insecurity, actually. They haven't oh, no, backed, no, yeah. Does that yeah, make yeah. sense? They haven't backed themselves. And that's, that's, that's not knocking them. That's not knocking them. No, no, them. and they more. might be back. Like, this is what we said the other day. Like, I just, I, we're kind of, I don't want to, maybe wrap this bit because I feel like we're going to, I'm going to start repeating stuff that we talked about the other day, but they need to, they need a bit of a culture change. They need to back themselves, actually. They yeah, they themselves. do. And they maybe need to, like I say, take a couple of steps back to go forward and really start building yeah. a process that's going to come to fruition in the long term. And do you want a couple of correspondence before we bounce? Let's do it. Let's do it. I uh, had an email from Stephen uh, replying to the dream careers bit that we did on the mailbag. Oh, wow. Well, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stephen says, Distadio, long-time listener and fan here in Amsterdam. Thanks, Stephen. Oh, First-time awesome. writer, compelled by your mailbag question on dream football career locations, may I point you towards the lovely Simon Kiar's journey? You had me, Stephen, uh, Simon Kier. Love that. Somewhere in Denmark, okay, not Copenhagen, but still, imagine the design scene. Palermo, Sun Food Beach. Wolfsburg, the hidden gem of Germany. Oh my God, is this your burner? <laughs> Four, Rome, Bella. Five, Lille, the best of Northern France that feels like Belgium. <laughs> I love this email. I love this. Six, Istanbul, food, culture, art. Seven, Seville. All caps, the food. Oh my God. I'll get to my veins. Eight, Bergamo, a brief stint, but four. Nine, Milan for a classy end. Although here's hoping he rocks up in Lisbon, Porto, Leon, or maybe even Amsterdam next. I love that email so much. It's a great email. Because also you think of the journey, like... He's a player, actually, who it was for a long time, oh, when he achieved his potential, then just absolutely came through. Absolutely came through. And what a life, what a career. God. I have to just shout out that obviously his first club was Midgieland. He would probably write one of the most interesting biographies. He would have so much to say about football. And I'm so glad he won that league title as well. I'm so glad he could claim that because he, when he first emerged on the scene, there were conversations about him being like one of the greatest of all time. Uh, doesn't have uh, the best populated trophy cabinet, but that's not through any lack of his own quality. Um, so yeah, the, the, that, that Milan League title, actually, funnily enough, looking back at it, you look at like what it meant for Giro as well. It really was quite defining, if you think about it, in terms of rounding off a career for a ton of players who had gone a little bit underappreciated. Mm. But yeah, I love that email. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Would you like one more email? One more, yeah, yeah. That's one's from, from that. Retend from Joshua. Yeah, yeah. Joshua said, "Just wanted to pop in and point out a potentially incredible last dance season from the modern era that wasn't mentioned on the podcast." Wow, wow, go for it. Fergie's final season at Manchester United with Rooney van Persie and take your pick of Rio, Vidic, Evra, Carrick, and De Gea as your three stars. The highs of winning one final league trophy, van Persie stepping in and overtaking Rooney, an aging defence's last dash of excellence, Fergie coming to terms with his retirement. Wow, the ludicrous final match against West Brom. And a young David De Gea emerging as one of the best players on earth. 
As a B-plot, you could examine how Fergie and Gill were keeping the Glazers' sinking ship afloat. Although, Whoa, do you know what that's like? But they brought what's me the, in in the first that? What's that meme? That meme, I've won, but at what cost? Yeah. That's what it was, wasn't it? The for last a race dance. horse. For a race horse. For a race horse. You know, but that whole title, you'd begin that. That's a brilliant idea. You know what? You'd begin that. The opening credits of that last dance would be would Sunderland be the, the season before. Yes. Yes. Phil would, Jones putting his hands on his head. And the Sunderland fans chanting and dancing the Poznan as yeah. United lose the league title. And then Fergie doing the whole like, come on lads, come inside. Yeah. And the dressing room, the opening scenes would just be that. Cinematic. Yeah. I like that. Because good shout. I think it's great because then the whole Van Persie stuff, I was actually at the game and Van Persie returned to Emirates and it just was, yeah. he got booked in the first half and the energy was just brutal. With the, uh, uh, what's it called? The what's it? Uh, the the um, guard uh, of honor. The guard of honor. Oh my oh, god! God, because Kieran Gibbs grim, giving him that look. Oh my god! That was a top five well, grim moment to be an Arsenal fan. Yeah, that was yikes! Yeah, that was yikes. <laughs> uh, was on a, a side note, before yeah. we finish, great email by the way. Thanks, Joshua. But, wonderful. Um, yeah, both of them. Yeah, wonderful. Have you seen the uh, Ryan Reynolds, Rob McElhenney, Alex Ferguson? commercial for the Manchester United Wrexham friendly not yet no god where it's called mind games and they get Alex Ferguson on zoom if you want to skip the spoilers just go 30 seconds ahead anyway they're asking him questions and he's just looking at them say nothing and they're like oh my god this is terrifying okay like we're gonna go like bye and they hang up and then I think a secretary comes in and asks Alex Ferguson he says how was the call he's just like I couldn't hear anything they're on mute Just oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Good content. Good content. Uh, shout out to Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger, obviously, and being the first two managers in the Premier League Hall of Fame. Incredible. Uh, anything else for today? Are we good? Uh, I think we are good. Are we good? Yeah, we're all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, don't forget, if you fancy leaving us a rating and review, please do so. Be very kind. Unless it's a bad one, then you can tweet at Okwanga. Yes, you can. Come at me. The official Stadio Customer Service hotline. Just tweet at Adokwonga. <laughs> uh, don't forget it. to check out the Press Right His House. All the other good stuff on the ringer. Don't forget to check the Stadio Outro's place on Spotify. Speaking of which, playing out on one from the Duster Universe uh, by Iaphorn, which is, what is it? Everything is all fucked up and whatnot. Beautiful song, though. That's what it stands for. Trackle Birds. Yeah. Anything you want to add, Moose Adokwonga? Nothing further. Lovely. All right, everyone, much love. Have a lovely weekend. We'll be back with you on Monday. See you then. Bye.